Let us learn a week from tonight. Rosh Hashanah already is upon us. So uh, let's take a, talk a little bit about the shofar. What I'd like to do is address a couple of issues regarding the shofar. We will continue really our journey through the machs, or actually looking inside a little bit the section on shofaros that we say musaf. The mitzvah shofar is an interesting one. When you think about the mitzvahs that are unique to the Yom Tovim, some of them are very clear in the Torah why we do them, and some of them less so. So, for example, matzah. You ask, like, well, why do we eat matzah on Pesach? It's very clear why we eat matzah on Pesach. The Torah tells us a story. We left in great haste. There wasn't time for the dough to rise. And Hashem gave us a mitzvah of matzah in commemoration. We know exactly why. Why do we sit in a sukkah uh, during sukkahs? So there too, the Torah says, Every generation should know. Keep the sukkot so shafti. I caused the Jewish people to dwell in booths. Those are like very clear, uh, yantiv-related mitzvahs, why we do them. What about a lulav and esrog? Torah doesn't say. Torah says, You'll take this, uh, uh, the palm branch and the esrog and the dasm and the ravos. And so we have lots of meanings that come as significant, but the Torah itself doesn't tell us why, why we're doing this. So some we find explicit, some we find less so. Where would you put shofar? What is the reason, the meaning, the explanation? Why do we blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah? What does the Torah tell us about it? So the wake-up call comes from the Rambam. The Rambam writes, and he explicitly says, even though the Torah doesn't tell us why we're doing this, I can give you a very good reason. I, there's a remez, there's a hint, it's a wake-up call. But the Torah itself is silent on why we blow the shofar. And we find various reasons through the machzor as to why it is that we're doing it, but the Torah itself doesn't explicitly tell us why it is that we're doing it. So the Gemara very famously says that when we blow the shofar, what we're doing is we're bringing our remembrance before Hashem. We do Malchus, we crown Hashem as king. Zichronos, we recognize that Hashem remembers everything. And, and how do we bring our judgment before Him that it should be for good? With the, with the shofar. But the machzor is going to give us other reasons of what the symbolism of the shofar is because we find the shofar throughout Tanakh. We'll take a look at that in a moment. One other question is, uh, to think about as we go through this section of the machzor, there are actually two different, uh, qualitatively different types of shofar. One is what we will call the shofar b'nei adam, the shofar of people, a shofar that we blow for whatever various reasons we blow a shofar. But we're also going to find there is what's called, let's, let's coin the phrase, a shofar hashemaimit, a, a heavenly shofar, one that's not necessarily coming that we're blowing, but that's being blown by Hashem, up in the heavens, a symbolic shofar, we'll see. There are two different, when we talk about shofar and Rosh Hashanah, so we obviously have a mitzvah to blow the shofar, but the symbolism of the shofar, we'll see, goes far beyond that. Let's take a look at the section of shofar. So it's on page 462 in your art scroll, Machzor. We'll read through the section. Uh, the section, of course, like all three of the major sections of Musaf, have an opening paragraph describing the theme, and then a series of ten psukim. Um, several psukim from the Torah, then several psukim from the Ksuvim, and then several psukim from Nevi'im. It's out of order, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, normally is the way it goes. All the three sections bring psukim from Chumash, then sections from Ksuvim, then sections from Nevi'im. Let's take a look at the different references to Shofar as we work through this section, uh, getting ourselves ready. So the, the, the Psukim say that the Machsur says, the middle of the page, you have revealed yourself in a cloud of glory. 
Alam Kachachat, your holy nation, the Daberimam, to speak with us. Where is this referring to? Where did Hashem reveal himself in this cloud to speak with us? Exactly, Harsinai. Minashamayim Hishma Atom Kolacha. From the heavens you made your voice be heard. Viniglesa Aleim Be'ar Palei Tohar. And you revealed yourself in the thick clouds of purity. Gam Kol Holam Kulochalma. The whole world trembled before you. Uvrios Breshis Chardumi Mecca. And the creatures of creation trembled before you. When you revealed yourself on Har Sinai, so far the entire thing we're talking about revelation, Hashem specifically revealing Himself on Har Sinai. Why did you reveal yourself on Har Sinai? To teach us, to give us the Torah, teach us mitzvos. You made them hear the majesty of your voice. Vidibros kod shecha milahavos eish, and from fiery flames your holy words emanated. And now we get to why is this here? What does this have to do with show for us the fact that you revealed yourself on our Sinai? You taught us Torah. Bikolos uvrakim aleim niglesa amid thunder and lightning you revealed yourself. Uvikol shofar aleihem hofata, and you appeared with the sound of the shofar. So what shofar is our first reference that we have here? Is it a heavenly shofar or an earthly shofar? Who blew the shofar at Harsinai? No idea. The Torah just describes, as we're about to see, there was a sound of the shofar at the time of Harsinai. And what was the purpose of this shofar that we're about to describe, as the entire opening paragraph starts with? Revelation. Hashem revealed Himself, and when He revealed Himself, He did so with the sound of the shofar. Now we're going to have three consecutive psukim from Chumash. Number one, uh, beginning of the line, halfway through. It was the third day of Yosem. There were sounds and thunder. A very strong sound of the shofar. Heavenly shofar for the purpose of revelation, and the entire people trembled. That's psukim number one. Number two. Venemar, second passage, The sound of the shofar became increasingly stronger. Moshe would speak, and the sound of the shofar would get... Same thing, same shofar, Harsinai, a heavenly shofar for the purpose of revelation. The third passage, The people saw the thunder, as the lapidim and the lightning, the, the, the flames and the lightning, as kola shofar, and the sound of the shofar, and the... the uh, the uh, smoking mountain, and they trembled. Okay, so we start off with all three consistent, heavenly shofar, uh, revelation at Arsinai. And then we move to the top of page 464, and in the words of the Iksuvim, uh, we're going to find the number of psukim from Tehillim. Hashem has ascended with a blast, Hashem with the sound of the shofar. Now this parak parak Mem Zayin in Sefer Tehillim, David Melech is describing the praises that the Jewish people will give, give to Hashem, and he will go up, so to speak, with the sound of our shofar. This is a shofar blown by mankind in praise of Hashem. As our next pasuk v'nemar, with trumpets and with the sound of the shofar, we need to call out before Hashem. What kind of shofar is that? Who's blowing that shofar? That's the shofar that we blow 
in honor and praise of or coronation lifnei hamelach Hashem before the King of Hashem. So we have some shofars. The first three were all references to some type of heavenly shofar and revelation. The second two are so far we are blowing in praise or in honor of Hashem v'neemar. Then the pasuk, which is the pasuk that defines according to Chazal the day of Rosh Hashanah, Tiku b'chodesh shofar. You should blow at the new moon, at the renewal of the new moon, b'kesa liyom chagenu, at the time of the, uh, of, the, of the chok, the chag, excuse me, the holiday, ki chok li because this is a decree for the Jewish people, mishpat l'elokei Yaakov. So this, this blowing of the shofar on Rosh Chodesh, which is really Rosh Hashanah, which is a chok, a decree for, who's blowing that shofar? We are. It's our, we, we need to blow that shofar. And why do we do that also? Because it's a chag. It's the appointed time of the, of the chag. And then a fourth pothic from Ksuvim, as we're familiar from our daily davening. Hallelujah. Uh, should praise Hashem in His sanctuary, praise Hashem in the firmament of His power, praise Hashem in His mighty acts, praise Him in the bone of the play the blast of the shofar, praise Him with the lyre and the harp, praise Him with the drum and the dead. Who's doing that shofar blowing? We are. So the first three from the Torah are all revelation and they're heavenly shofar blasts. The middle section from Tehillim are all we blow the shofar in forms of praise coronation uh, to Hashem. And then the final three psukim, what do we find from the, from the Navi? All of the inhabitants of the world and those who dwell on earth, they will see that when the Jewish people have been ingathered as if a banner has been raised on the mountaintops, and they shall hear it as if a shofar was sounded. What is this, what's this referring to? What time period are we talking about? When are the nations of the world going to do that? The, the final redemption. And where is that shofar going to come from? Is that an earthly shofar or a heavenly shofar? A heavenly shofar that's going to sound out as redemption happens, and the nations of the world will see us being gathered up as if a banner was raised up on the mountaintops, and there'll be like a sound of the shofar. And it will be on that day, that there will be a great sound of the shofar. And all of the lost ones, the Jews dispersed in the exile, will gather together. Even those pushed all the way down to Mitzrayim. What's this a reference to? Same thing. Redemption, ingathering of the exiles, and they will be by Yomahu. Are we supposed to blow that shofar or is there going to be some massive sound of shofar that's going to be blown? It's a heavenly shofar. And the last one, Hashem will appear to them. Like an arrow he will go forth. Hashem will sound the sound of the shofar. The halach b'saros teiman and will go southward with these storm winds and will shield them. Kain tagain alamcha Yisrael bishlomecha. You will shield and protect the people with your peace. 
When, again, when is this? Some type of final redemption. Who's blowing the shofar? It's explicit. Hashem Elohim is going to blow the shofar. So the pattern is three heavenly shofar blasts that all were from the same time period of original revelation at Harsinai. Then in the middle, we have three blasts of the shofar that we do. And then the last three are again heavenly shofar blasts that will be from the time of the final redemption, the final revelation. So revelation, us in praise, revelation, we have such a pattern in the way the shofar is blown. It accomplishes three different things. Revelation, praise that we do, and then the ingathering of, of the exiles, and I guess a, a, a further form of revelation, all of that when we talk about, well, what a shofar represents, when we blow the shofar, what are we recalling, what are we conjuring up? We have all of those various ideas as far as the shofar goes. But there's a very interesting pattern. When you think of that pattern of the psukim that we just, re- we just read, there was the opening and closing are very similar. Heavenly shofar blasts, and sandwiched in the middle is something that we do is very similar to the actual way that we blow the shofar. What do we do when we blow shofar? Every single shofar blast that we do on Rosh Hashanah is always a pattern. What's the pattern? There's a tzkiah, a trua, and a tzkiah. The single simple blast of the tzkiah sandwiches the trua in the middle. And I want to show you as we go through this why that very much patterns what we just read through the psukim that Chazal gave us in the Machzer, heavenly, earthly, heavenly, and that same pattern is exactly the way that we blow. What... Right, the specific language of the trua that we are gonna, that we blow. Yes, we find a lot of the, the various language of the Gemara is actually darshins, the tekiah, true, the, sometimes it's called the trua, utekatembit trua, you'll use the tekiah to blow the trua. That's how we get this idea of sandwiching the, uh, the, the, the tekiahs around the, the actual trua. Why is the trua the primary uh, blow, the blast that we blow on Rosh Hashanah? Because the, the Torah calls Rosh Hashanah the Yom Trua or Zichron Trua. The day of trua, it's the remembrance of trua. So it's clear that a trua is the central piece. That's the shofar blast that we have the mitzvah to do. The Gemara points out that the Torah uses in the context of the month of Tishrei the word trua three different times. So we have three different truas that we need to blow. And the Gemara explains from the language, utikatem betrua, we find there needs to be a tkiah both before the trua and a tkiah after a trua. What is a trua? What does it sound like? So the Mishnah, when it discusses this, calls it a, the shear of the trua, the length of the trua is bisholosh yivavos. Yivavos is a type of a cry. And the Gemara, in explaining the type of cry that it is, refers to the mother of Sisra. Sisra was a general of one of the nations that the Jews had many problems with in the times of the Shoftim. The Navi describes that Sisra uh, caused us all sorts of trouble until Devorah, the prophet Devorah, gathered together Barak, and they fought against Sisera and defeated him finally, which ushered in 40 years of peace. All of Sefer Shoftim is all about a war and peace and war and peace and, and troubles that the Jews had. Um, but when Yael defeats, uh, excuse me, when Devorah and Barak defeat Sisera, he flees and he finds a, what he thought was a, 
uh, a comrade who would protect him, Chever um, Akeni, who was married to Yael. And Yael brings him into the tent, and as the Navi describes, gives him some warm milk to drink and something to eat, and he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, she drives a peg into his head, to his forehead, killing him, and that's the official end of Sisra and uh, the problems that we have. The Navi describes that the mother of Sisera used to await him coming home from battle. He never lost a battle. He was undefeated. And he would come home with great spoils. And so the language that the, the Navi uses in describing the mother of Sisera is, um, She would watch. She would be a mashki from, from, the, from the window waiting for him to come back. And she would cry and whimper because... He wasn't coming home. And so the language of uti avev, that she would cry, is the same language that the Targum Unkelis uses to translate the word terua, a yibava, which is a form of a cry. It's just that the Gemara has two opinions. What does the cry sound like? Does the cry sound like what we call a trua, a uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh type of cry? Or is the cry like, <laughs> which we call a trua? Excuse me, a shvar. The shvarim is the first one, the three-pronged type of cry. That's the shvar, what we call a shvarim, or what we call the trua. But those are both forms of a trua. The Gemara then says there's really a third approach. Maybe it's both of them together. When a person gets a type of news and they, they heave and they wail all together, so it's both, or all three, meaning it's both together. So since we have three truas that we have to blow, because the Torah uses the word trua three times, whatever the trua is needs a tzkiah before and a tzkiah after. So if the trua is what we call shvarim, then the three of them would be tzkiah, shvarim, tzkiah, tzkiah, shvarim, tzkiah, tzkiah, shvarim, tzkiah, shvarim, That's nine. If the real interpretation of the word trua is what we call a trua, then you would need a tzkiah, trua, tzkiah, which is another nine, which is 18. But if the trua really is both together, then you would need a tkia shvarim trua tkia, tkia shvarim trua tkia, tkia shvarim trua tkia, which is twelve for a grand total of thirty, and that's the thirty that we blow before musaf, the thirty that we blow after musaf, and that's a the three. It's three truas. Each trua needs to be surrounded by a tkia, and since we have three interpretations of what the trua could possibly be. We do all of them, and that's how we get 30 and 30, and then we blow an additional 60 at the end, which has to deal again with, deal with the mother of Sisra. The Gemara derives that she actually cried a hundred different cries, and so we add another 60 of uh, various minhagim to uh, combine the full 100. Either way, what's relevant for us tonight is, it's clear that a true is a cry. It's a cry that comes from the heart of a, a broken heart, from the heart of a Jew, we could debate what type of cry it is, three of the shvarim or the nine or the of, the, of, the, of the trua or both together, but it's a broken cry, a broken hearted cry, so to speak. And it's surrounded, surrounded by its kia. Now its kia is not a cry, its kia is just a straight sound. So uh, I just want to share an idea of Yehuda Amital, who was the Rosh Hashiva of Gush, passed away recently, writes that this idea parallels the psukim that Chazal gave us of shofaros, which we just read. You start with a heavenly shofar, 
the three heavenly shofars of the revelation at Harsinai. Then we have the three shofars that mankind blows, which is in the psukim, in praise of Hashem. Hallelujah, but three man-made blows. And then we conclude with three again heavenly blows of the final revelation. And he writes that this is the idea that you see that the shofarosh al-Kadosh Baruch Hu, the heavenly shofar, mevatet kia What kind of sound would the heavenly shofar blow? That's going to be a sound of a tzkia. It's straight, it's whole, and it's complete. A tzkia mushlemet, a full and complete tzkia, would be the type of shofar blast that you would get from heaven. Acha adam, but mankind, a person, Balev nishbar v'nidkeh, with our troubles, our difficulties, our broken hearts, mitusbachu mituskal, confused, uh, uh, bewildered in life, as life throws us all of the troubles, complications, sadness that we experience. Einenu misugolevate kol pashur. We can't blow a simple, straight shofar. That's not our experience in life. Our experience in life is complicated. We blow, we blow a broken shofar. The heavenly shofar is straight, it's complete, it's full. And he goes so far as to say this parallels the experience of the human being throughout his life. When a, a baby is born, a baby is born with the cry and so to speak dies with the cry. But the cry of a newborn baby and the cry, so to speak, of a person as we take our last breath in this world is a different type of cry than the cry of the human as we go through life. The cry of the baby is just, here, here we go, life is starting, but nothing, not much to really complain about or to be pain. Obviously, the experience of birth for the child is a, is a trauma. But uh, at the end of one's life, uh, we should be blessed to, to end our life in, in, in serenity and in peace of a life well lived. But all the time in between, the cries that we have are cries of deep pain, of suffering, of worry. And uh, that, that cry is the trua that we blow in the midst, surrounded by the two whole and complete tzkiyas, the tzkiyah that begins and the tzkiyah that ends. You can never have a trua without it. You have to have every trua to fulfill the obligation of a trua must come with a tzkiyah before and a tzkiyah after. The tzkiyah of Hashem revealing Himself at Har Sinai, the tzkiyah of Hashem revealing Himself at the end of days, in between those two revelations is a trua. In between those two revelations is a broken cry, the sound of the heart uh, with all of the complications that we have. This idea expresses itself in one other place. There's another cry, besides for the mother of Sisra, crying for her son, the warrior, who's not returning home. There's another famous cry of a mother for her children. That, of course, is Rachel. Rachel Imenu. Rachel Imenu cries for her children. Rachel Mivako al-Baneha. There's a, one of the most poignant Rashis we find in Chumash. When Yaakov is on his deathbed, when Yaakov is on his deathbed, he gathers his children, before he gathers his children, I should say, he first gathers just Yosef together with Ephraim and Menashe. And he gives a bracha to Ephraim and to Menashe, to Yosef's two children. And he says in the beginning of Parshas Vayichi, before he gathers all the other sons, he says to Yosef, you know, I need you to take me to Eretz Canaan to bury me in the Marasa Machpelah. Don't leave me here in Mitzrayim. Don't bury me here. And he says, and I know, when I, years ago, many years ago, came 
from your, your grandfather Lavan's house where I married Rachel and Leah and Bila and Zilpah. On the way back, years ago, Mesa Alai Rachel, your mother Rachel died on my way back. Still a little bit before I arrived in the city of Ephrats, I hadn't yet gone there. On the way to Beis Lechem, and I buried her there in Beis Lechem. Rashi points out, why is, why is Yaakov saying this to Yosef? He's asking him, please bury me in Mitzrayim. Why is he rehashing the history of how Yosef's own mother was buried on the way of Beis Lechem? He didn't even take her into the city. So Rashi says, I know. I know that in your heart you still have complaints against me. I know that you don't feel that I treated your mother with respect. I didn't bury her appropriately in a way that should be honored um, the way that she should have been. She says, Yaakov is saying to Yosef, you need to know, Hashem commanded me. I did it because that was my understanding of what was necessary from on high. And why did I need to bury her right there on the road? That they should, she should be a help to her sons. When they would be exiled after the destruction of the first base on Mikdash and on their way to Bavel, that they should pass by the burial site of the Mama Rachel, of Rachel Imenu. They'll pass her. Rachel will, so to speak, come out of her graveside. Uboche and cry over the exiled children umivakeshes aleim rachamim, and she will be, be will be, will seek beseech for us mercy from on heaven, as the pasuk says, Kol b'ramon nishma nehi b'chi tamurim a bitter wail that Rachel will cry for her children, and when Hashem sees Rachel standing by the side of the road crying over her forlorn, uh, slaughtered, exiled children. Hashem will return, will say to her, um, It's time to stop crying. There's reward for all of your actions. I'll bring them home. I know that now they're on their way out, but don't worry, I won't leave them there. I'll take them back. And so Yaakov says to Yosef in Mitzrayim still, I know that you're not happy that I buried her. I know that you're not happy that I didn't bring her to the, to the cave. I didn't bring her to an appropriate place. I left her on, this, on the road. But I'm, we need her. We need the cries of Rachel Imenu to be able to beseech Hashem for Rachamim for us on our way out of the first base of Mikdash. She asks the Maral, why is Rachel the only mother crying? Why, why is she crying? Why, why is Leah not crying? Leah has six of the 12 children. Rachel only has two of the 12 children. So why is Rachel crying more than everybody else? So the Medrash says, the Maral explains as follows. Amazing Medrash. The Moral says only Rachel was in a position for her cries to have an impact on Hashem, to have Rachamim on the Jewish people. Because Rachel did something that nobody else had done. And Rachel allowed Leah in to the marriage. And this is the way the Medrash describes the conversation. The Medrash says that Rachel said... Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Rachel stands before Hashem watching the destruction take place, the horrible destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, and says, What in the world can my children possibly have done? Such destruction, such death, such, such terrible suffering. What could they possibly have done? 
Bishvil Avodazara, the worst. They worshipped idols. Shenikres Tsara, which is like bringing in another wife to a marriage. After Chazal always described, the Pesukim and Navi describe that when we worshipped idol, again, we don't have the desire for, wor- uh, for idol worship. When there was the desire for idol worship, it was like you brought in, you had an adulterous relationship. You're supposed to be one and one, you and Hashem, and you brought something else in. You brought in another deity, another power. So Rachel says, is that what was so bad? Hello, Ahavdi, you want to talk about a tzara? You want to talk about bringing in another wife? I loved my husband more than anything who worked for me seven years. And in the end, on the day of my wedding, my father switched me out and brought my own sister in to marry the man of my dreams, and I accepted it. I loved my husband, and I gave her the signs. I was an active participant to make sure that she wouldn't be embarrassed. I did that for my sister. She says to the Rebona Shalom, I'm much a human being, a flesh and blood. And you, a melech, rachaman, a king, a merciful king, if I had rachamim on my sister, you have to have rachamim on your children. And Hashem will answer, I'll bring him back. So says the Medrash. So why is Rachel crying? Because she's the one who can stand before Hashem and say, I allowed my sister in. So you're going to now complain and say, but, my, but your children are bringing in another wife, so to speak. They're worshiping other idols. That's worse than what I did. I let my own sister in. How could you not have Rachamim on them? Now, the Medrash needs to be understood because there's a major difference between Rachel on her own bringing in another wife. Hashem is complaining against the Jewish people who against his will are worshiping idols. What's her argument to say, hey, look, I did it, so you have to have Rachamim as well. The Meral says an amazing thing. Meral explains this Medrash and says, the Be'er Inyan Zed, the explanation is, Ki b'shvil Rachel, nashim. Rachel saw that it was befitting Yaakov that he was going to need to marry two wives. Why did Yaakov need to marry two? He ends up with four. Why did he need two? Why did it have to be that he was going to need two? Ki ein ha'olam Because this world, the world that we still live in, shehu olam ha'chiluk ve'hapirud. It's a world of distinction. It's a world of separation. It's a world of being separated one from another is this world is not roi sheyiyeh hakol be'achtus. It's not yet ready to be a world of unity. The world we live in has not yet been perfected. We, we yearn, we daven, all Rosh Hashanah we daven, l'saken olam b'malchut shaddai, that we, we yearn to see that you'll perfect the world, you'll make it whole, yimloch Hashem li'olam, kol ha'olam kulo yaseh aguda achas, will become like one bundle. But it's, we're not there yet. This is a world of pirud and chiluk, a world of separation, of distance. Had it been that Yaakov fathered 12 tribes from one woman, the Jewish people would have indeed been one. They would have been unified. 
We wouldn't have had that Yehuda is from Leah, Ephraim is from Rachel, and the two are always at odds. The two, there's always a tension amongst the Jewish people. There's a lack of unity amongst the Jewish people. Well, you know why there's a lack of unity amongst the Jewish people? Because Yaakov Avinu had more than one wife. And you know why Yaakov Avinu had more than one wife? Because the world isn't ready for the perfection of unity. Which is not going to be the case. Mashiach comes, will be ma'achid, and join us all together. You think it's strange, like, why can't the Jews get along? It's, we're not supposed to get along yet. It's not yet a world of achdus. We need to strive to get to that. It was already put in motion from the fact that Yaakov needed two wives. Rachel was Mechabel, that the man of her dreams was not going to be exclusively hers because she saw that the world was not yet fit or ready for that. And therefore she makes an argument, I let my sister in because this is the world, Olam Hazza, that we live. It's not a world that's been perfected. We're working towards it, but we're not there. Therefore you have to be Mochel li Yisrael. You have to forgive the Jewish people for their sins. There's no unity in this world, not in a spiritual sense either. That's why there's a Vodazara in the world, and that's what causes the Jewish people to sin. We're not spiritually unified either. And in a world that's not spiritually unified, we're going to sin because we're missing that achdus. And therefore, it's Rachel and Rachel alone who says, I understood the world as it, needs, as it is, so I brought my sister in because that's what's destined to be for the Jewish people. So how could you now be angry at your children when they sin, when they're not whole, they're not complete, not with you, not with each other? The world, the base of is destroyed for Avodah for Sinas Chinam. All of that is a lack of achdus. That's the world that we're in right now. I had to live with that world by bringing my sister in. You have to live with that world and forgive them when they're not perfect in the imperfect world that exists right now. So says the Maral, understanding this Madrash, and what does that lead to? The cry of Rachel as they leave the exile, they leave Eretz Yisrael on the way into exile, it's Rachel who can cry and say, you have to have Rachamim on them, because it's a world of pirud, it's a world of chiluk, it's a world of separation and distance. We yearn to be together. But Lafika Rachel Mivakeshes Rachamim Bilvat. It's Rachel who asks asks for Rachamim along the way. Ravital. Amital writes that this idea is the pattern that we find in both places in, in the recognition of the shofar. It starts in the Psukim. The Psukim start with a heavenly shofar of revelation and then an earthly shofar that we blow, and then it's sandwiched again by a heavenly shofar of the final revelation. The blowing of the shofar that we actually do is a tzkiah, a truah, and a tzkiah. The tzkiah is a heavenly, straight, whole, complete sound. But the ones that we do, the mitzvah that we have of the truah, it's not whole, it's not complete. It's the cry. It's the cry of Arachel Nevakal Baneha saying, it's not a perfect world. And in an imperfect world, in an imperfect world, we cry. 
our heart yearns, our mourns, grieves, our heart is broken. And whether it's three, the, the shvarim, the true, that's what our, our hearts cry. But in the world that we're in, we only blow that cry when it's surrounded by its kia before and surrounded by its kia after. It's surrounded by its kia before the revelation that Hashem had before and the revelation that will be. We recognize the cry, we recognize that, and we also recognize that there will be v'shavu v'anim gvulam. your children will return to their borders. There will be a tzkiah, a whole and complete sound that emanates from heaven, that will heal, that will make whole, that will complete the crying that we have in this world. But in the, in the broken world, the, the, the whole and complete sound in a broken world is the sound of the shofar, which we only will blow. The, the sound of the, of the world of Arachel, the world of two wives for Yaakov, the world of exile, of the world of, we can't get Jews together. We can't get the uh, Yehuda and Ephraim on the same page. We can't even get one community to decide, should we dominate in this room or in that room, and with a mask, without a mask, and everybody thinks everybody is crazy, and this is the world that we live in. And it's Rachel Mivakal Banel, Rachel who cries over that and says, we're, we're yearning to see the world perfected. Rosh Hashanah is the time that we literally daven for that. And the time that we can blow that truah, we put the tkiah before and after, symbolizing our recognition of we once saw it and we will see it again. And despite the fact that we might not understand it as we live through it, we, we yearn on Rosh Hashanah to be able to hear that heavenly shofar and to see the completion of that. And with that, we're able to blow the shofar uh, in between. And uh, as the Gemara says, we use a, a, a bent shofar. Uh, that's the ideal shofar to use on Rosh Hashanah. Because as we stand before Rosh Hashanah, we want to be humbled uh, with the yearning of perfection but recognizing the humility that we have, uh, the chatayim, the sins that will cause us to still be in a world of pirud and chiluk of separation and distance and yearning as we begin at the first of the Aserah Simei It's a day of coronation, a day of celebration, a day of wanting to coronate Hashem with the blow of the shofar, recognizing the world that we're in and yearning to get to that second kia to see the wholeness and the completion of the world that will be. So those are some of the thoughts as we should have in mind as we re- read through the, uh, the psukim and listen to the shofar, each one, tkia, trua, tkia, each set, um, as we go through, uh, thinking of the mother of Sisra as it's patterned after the, ma- the, the mama Rachel, uh, Rachel Imenu, uh, and her cries and the yearning for the shlemus and the completion of the, uh, the, the Yitaka B'Shofar Godol, the great shofar that will sound and herald the redemption, bringing us back to uh, Eretz Israel. A wonderful yantiv.